this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Ziak and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we are back with another requested review. Requested, requested review. review. They are coming in fast and furious. They are. I'm happy. Uh, uh, that's also uh, going to be the plot of the next Fast and Furious movie. It's about donations to uh, a small podcast that obscure, obscure, obscure podcast. podcast yeah there's a crime ring yep money laundering ripping off uh somebody's laundering m- money by uh giving incremental uh donations to every podcast they're gonna use book. bitcoin instead of uh real money <laughs> for the plot but you'll get the you'll get the gist of it That's, that'd be a good way to hide your money mm-hmm we'll let onto it onto it for you a little bit yeah. We're not above that. No. Not at all. So, Jay, this uh, requested review comes from our friend Gavin Reed down in Australia on the Gold Coast. He suggested a band from the U.S. He's uh, often given us Australian bands to listen to, but uh, a few times he's given us an American band. And this week, we're checking out Archers of Loaf and their uh, first album. From 1993, Icky Metal. Jay, are you familiar with Archers of Loaf? Uh, I am. They're one of those bands that, uh, you know, when I go back and listen to, I enjoy and find myself wondering why I don't listen to them more. Right. Um, and then I go back into my pattern of not listening to them. <laughs> uh, I can't explain it. It just... They're just one of the bands when I think, hey, what do I listen to that listen to today? Their name does not pop into the forefront of my mind. But um, you know, I've checked them out here and there over the years and um have always liked what I've heard. Other than that, I don't know much about uh about the band. So I'm with you. Uh I did not I was not aware of this band in the nineties. Um and it wasn't until the early 2000s where people were referencing them after they had broken up. And uh, I was like, oh, I have to go check out that band. So I started listening to them probably in the mid-2000s and listened to all the records probably at least once or twice. And then sort of put them on the back burner again. For some reason, I was totally oblivious to basically all the music coming out of North Carolina in the 90s. Whether it was Super Chunk or uh, Polvo whatever it was i didn't get in any of that stuff until the 2000s so i don't know if i had a bias against north carolina or something like that not sure what it was but uh i've tried to right those wrongs over the years give carolina a chance man i know i know i've heard the uh, charlotte area is nice give the vinegar based sauce a little bit of a, a shot so Gavin wrote, uh, I first heard these guys on local Rubber Records compilation called American Pie. Mm. Um, it's also, uh, it features um, Guided by Voices, and you can go to the Guided by Voices database, or GBVDB, GV, 
excuse me, gbvdb.com. Oh my goodness. That's the Guided by Voices database, and you can look up this album. Uh, it's an awesome album where I ended up hmm. buying music by nearly all the bands. Also, it's one of those strange albums that in our circles isn't heavy at all, but play it to others, and it's just all noise. Okay, I see what he's saying there. Mm. Um, <laughs> he says, good luck trying to work Pinkerton into this review, uh, or into this episode, uh, since we've managed to do that. Is that a challenge? I guess so. Uh, we also got uh, some comments from uh, Steve Musinski. He says, uh, a unique band name that I've heard in passing for years on end, yet I've never heard a single note by these guys until now. I've always mentally filed this band next to the Afghan wigs, mostly because they both have an odd band name that starts with the letter A. <laughs> okay. But maybe I was onto something after all. Do you guys hear it? Mm. I'm a casual wigs fan at best, so I could be way off. Uh, if you're talking about a, uh, a verbal connection, sure. If you're talking about a musical connection, eh, I'm not sure I could find it. Maybe, maybe with the up in it album yeah we could maybe entertain that era the of the wigs in this band yeah so jay we should talk briefly about the history of this band it's pretty i mean it's well known in terms of people who are familiar with the band and a lot of people are familiar with the band we're approaching this as people who are not as familiar with the band so just give you the the basic info uh the band formed in chapel hill north carolina in 1991 Singer-guitarist Eric Bachman, guitarist Eric Johnson. Not the Eric Johnson I later learned who released the Avia Musicom album and uh, put out uh, <laughs> stuff with Steve Vai and Joe Satriani at the V3. Yeah, Cliffs, he was not the writer of Cliffs Not that guy? Not that guy. Uh, bassist Matt Gentling and drummer Mark Price, who was not the point guard for the Cavs, in the late 80s and early 90s. <laughs> Is Brad Doherty in drums? <laughs> He's from North Carolina. I know. So, so he could play in this band. Um, originally, they were all from Asheville, North Carolina. Um, so initially, they released a uh, single. The A-side was uh, Wrong, which is on this album. And the B-side was a song called South Carolina. Interesting. And was given away free with an issue of a magazine... Uh, it then the single did well, so they signed to Alias Records and released their second single, which was called Web in Front, and it got them some mild college radio play. So they put out an album, which we're re- reviewing, Icky Metal, released by Alias Records in November of 1993. And the two songs, uh, Wrong and Web in Front, were re-recorded for the album so the the single version is a little bit different than the album version so this album was recorded and mixed in seven days for about five thousand dollars um it was followed by an ep in 1994 called versus the greatest of all time uh but that song the versus the great the greatest of all time does not appear on this release which is the EP, it follows, it's on the next album, which was released in 1995, called VV, which is actually spelled V-E-E-V-E-E-E, not two Vs, just for the clarification there. 96, they released a collection of B-sides and singles called The Speed of Cattle, and then later that year, 
Their third album, All the Nation's Airports, was released by Alias, but it was distributed by Elektra. Sometime in this area, they were also getting courted by Maverick Records. And they Mm. declined to sign to Maverick because it would have cost them so much money to get out of the deal that they had with Alias, which then would have put them in debt with Maverick to buy out the deal. That they said it just didn't make any economic sense. They would have never made a dime while they were on Maverick, essentially, because they would have been in debt the whole time. So they just decided not to sign. So it wasn't a matter of necessarily like, oh, we don't want to sign with a major because we're we're indie and that's you know not the cool thing to do. It was really it was smart economics on right. their part. So their final. Uh, album White Trash Heroes was released in 1998. Uh, in late 98, the drummer Mark Price was diagnosed and had surgery for carpal tunnel syndrome, and he is basically had to stop playing drums at that point. So the band, which was already dealing with some internal struggles, um, they had toured with Weezer and it had not gone well. Uh, some other issues. They decided to call it quits. Eric Bachman uh, started a solo project and then a new band called Crooked Fingers. Um, The uh, bassist Mark Gentling went on to work with, uh, he went on to tour with uh, Superchunk and then is the live bassist for a couple different bands like Band of Horses. And um, Eric Johnson, the guitar player, released an EP and an album under the name Spooky and then went to law school. So the band was, uh, from 1998 to 2011, was not active. And then in back, they got back together for a show in January of 2011. And then in May, they performed the Sasquatch Festival in Seattle. And then in um, December of 2011, they played at the ATP Nightmare Before Christmas Festival that was uh, curated by Les Savvy Fav in Minehead, England. And then in June, they performed in uh, at the Jimmy Fallon show on uh, NBC. They've had their albums re-released, and they've done some touring in support of the reissues. So that is the history of Archers of Loaf. And of course, if like Steve and Gavin, you'd like to leave us some comments on an episode before we actually review it, you can join us over at Patreon. For as little as a buck a month to do so. So Jay, let's get. get <clears throat> I didn't get this band confused with the Afghan Wigs, but I think I used. I think I do confuse them with Nerf Herder. <laughs> I don't know why. Nerf Herder. I don't know. Just the names are just like equally like. The other comment that you read just equally goofy names. Okay. I don't think they stay. They don't sound alike. I don't even know what Nerf Herder sounds like. So I think Nerf Herder had the single Van Halen in the 90s. Do you remember that song? No. No? Okay. Go look it up on YouTube after we record this. Yes, sir. Um, do you have a fan running? Uh, the air conditioning is on. Oh, it's really loud. I can hear it. I'm sorry. It's okay. This sounds, you're, it sounds like you're on Hoth Planet and there's a, there's a, <laughs> there's a wind blowing. It's weird because we had it. Um, had it made quieter in this room than it had been. 
You got you you got like quieter from when we started. I did. Yeah. Did you move away from your mic, or are you at the same spot? Same spot. Hmm. I'm not sure what that is. Uh, it's all right. Let's just uh, let's just move along. So, Jay, let's talk about Archers of Loaf. This is an album that, in doing the research, you know, didn't sell a lot of copies. wasn't a massive, you know, seller, but it made a lot of best album of the year when it came out. Um, and then, in retrospect, like, you know, Pitchfork top five hundred albums of the '90s or fifty albums of the '90s, whatever. Spin, Rolling Stone. All those, uh, lots of accolades in the in in the rear view for this for this particular album in and the band overall. So um, let's start with you because I started last week. Uh, tell me one thing that you liked about this record. Well, you hear a. I, I think you hear the. Um potentially reference points for some bands that come later which right. is, um i'll throw some out through the review here i don't know if they're you know we're, we're necessarily inspired by this band but you certainly hear the the ground being uh, being laid for those bands um so i found myself re- reacting positively when um i heard rep, um you know sort of hints or references or notions of what some of those bands did. So um, I'll just, I'll start with Spoon. That was a band that I, I heard at least the first couple Spoon records um, that are a lot uh, raw and have a lot more energy, have a, a little bit more of a punk kind of vibe to them. Uh, when I heard that sort of stuff on this record, I liked it a lot. So there's a, um, there's definitely a pop, a pop sensibility um, to the melodies, um, and then there's this just really immediate kind of guitar approach, which mm-hmm. is um, it doesn't you know it's it's raw, it doesn't sound overly perfect or rehearsed, but yet it still sounds um, big when it needs to be big, um, and, and really carries the song. Um, sometimes so you know just that that mix of of, some songs where there's definitely some solid uh, pop oriented melodies and then these angular raw um, guitars are just full of life Um, when that comes together on this record I think it's uh, it's pretty inspired I think it works really well so, I mean, I think that's, to me, the first thing that I really grabbed onto on this record, and, and I think one of the big reasons why, when it's successful, why it's successful. Yeah, I think um, you mentioned the guitar playing. Almost every song on this record has some pretty amazing guitar parts. Some of them are very simple, but the counter guitar parts that are going on between Eric Bachman and Eric Johnson... Web in front is a perfect example. There's like these, you know, kind of straightforward chords that are going out, but then there's these weird, 
I'm guessing it's Eric Johnson playing these like weird like leads that are like higher up and they're they're sort of affected but so much of what he does is just about bending notes and 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 uh just crazy little runs that he's doing and there's some songs that um i'm thinking of like hate paste and i think the other one is you and me no it's not you and me what is it um Oh, it's last word. Sorry, it has like this almost like uh, Middle Eastern vibe to it in the guitar, but yeah. it's so subtle that it's not like a Zeppelin song. It's not mm-hmm. like you know Cashmere or something like that. But it's just these two you know notes right next to each other that give you this like tension. And I think that's the word I would use overall on this record. Is like there's a lot of tension between. What the guitars are doing, his vocal is very on up front and and like pounding you in a good way. Um, it's very tense and and energetic and immediate. And the rhythm section is pounding away a lot of these songs with a lot of Tom stuff that's really interesting. And the guitars just like lead the way. There are some songs where like his vocal is almost half buried because of the guitar parts that are going on that are so loud and rocking. I think the the what's interesting though about the vocals, I think I think there are times when it it does. Um, I'm trying to think of the best way to say it. it it's kind of back in the pocket. Like mm-hmm. obviously, there's half the material on one here where he's up front and it's aggressive and it's almost a scream. Then there's some other stuff where, like the spoon reference I had earlier, where you know they can pull the vocal back a little bit. He's actually like on the backbeat with it and it kind of feels just like confident and like it's not as uh, spastic or crazy you know right which i think i like that stuff maybe just where i'm at right now <laughs> at 41 years old that stuff really resonates with me it just it feels a lot more like um you know i know what i want to say and i know how i want to say it as opposed to I'm angsty and you know that right. kind of thing, which uh, I really it just has a cool. It, it, there's a cool, not in a generic way, but in a you know the old school cool like laid back like feel sometimes right. that they hit this um, on this record, which makes to me that's what makes it unique because the times when they're just noisy punk band, I mean those are the songs. Frankly, I think they're competent. But they're not special. Um, you just kind of feel like, okay, this could be one of several other bands. 
but I think some of those um, web and front is an example where it's a little bit more reserved. Mm-hmm. I think the band comes through a lot more and it becomes a lot more unique than something that I hadn't heard before from anybody. Um, but <clears throat> on, on paper, a lot of the guitar stuff that's going on here should not work. I think that's another thing as I started breaking the record down. I'm like, okay, what this guy's playing and what this guy's playing should not work together, but somehow like it works. Yeah. I don't quite understand how they're doing this, but they're like, doing they, things that are like not matching up in terms of where they're hitting their parts. Yeah, yeah. But it yeah, you're right. It just like they just worked it out. That <laughs> it just it kinda crazily works together. You mentioned the word angsty. I don't. I don't get a feeling of angst from this record. I, when I say like tension, I just mean like it, there's a lot of stuff. And maybe it's you know that weird. Like I said, the guitars not necessarily playing you, the way you think that they should when you hear them. Like oh, that that part should end there as opposed to you know a little bit. It ended a, a half a measure later than it should have, but it works. Even though it's kind of crisscrossing into the other guitar part, but there's all this like energy to the record and you know i i don't i never saw the band play live i just imagine that they were energetic live based on listening to the record and it just it feels like uh the uh the energy of kind of like punk but with people who have kind of already been over punk like they want that energy of you know, getting people riled up, but at the same time, you know, these are four guys who all grad, who are all been to college. I don't know if they all graduated from college, but they all went to college, so it's not quite the same scene. Whereas, if you know, if it's a bunch of teenagers listening to punk, it's a little bit more raucous and simplistic, I guess. And um, they were able to take that balls to the wall energy and just twist it in unique ways. And yeah, they they're able to like take a song like Web in Front, which could have easily been over the top in terms of energy, and they could have exploded it, but they keep it at this like like you said, like this cool tempo and and vibe that uh, stops it from being generic and makes it puts it and his it helps that his lyric writing is just crazy. I mean, I think he's doing sort of a. a the thing where you're just trying to fit the the right consonants and vowels into the spots. And so sometimes he's saying words and I'm like, I don't understand what this means, but it sounds cool. Yeah, I heard, um, now on the other side, the other extreme of this band, I heard, um, say, a song like Hey Paste has a little bit of acoustic in it, mm-hmm. has a kind of a swing sway feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually heard a band like Bright Eyes in there. Like, potentially the concept for that band in that song. Huh. 
uh, in that it's a little, you know, off kilter, has a folk like core to it, but yeah. delivered through a very you know, sort of like a punk rock band playing, trying to write a folk song, you know, with still with like the angular kind of off kilter feel. It's got like overdub drums or something going on. Like the drums, the drums sound way different on that song than they do on all the others. So it kind of gives it a instead of like an immediate rock feel, it feels more like an orchestrated, I don't know if they're doubled or what's going on there. It's not one of my favorite songs on the record, but it definitely um, showed a whole other side of the band that uh, feels familiar to what some other bands were maybe doing later in the decade. At least that was my take on it. Hmm. I hadn't, I hadn't really made the, the Bryce connection, but that makes makes sense what you're saying because of the acoustic guitar and that I think it's like a 3-4 swing that's in that song. That's a interesting thought. In terms of lineage, there were some bands that I heard. The Wrens was one that I heard. Oh, they this could have been a band that the Wrens heard, especially because a lot of these songs are short. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a couple that are under uh, under two minutes. Most of them are in the two to three minute range. You only have one that's a four minute and a half long song. But this, I mean, this record flies by when you're listening to it. What's also what's really crazy about it is that there are a lot of really catchy parts, but they don't necessarily structure the songs in traditional ways. Yeah. Um, they, you know, they'll do instrumental breaks where you think the chorus should be, or and it only lasts for like a couple measures. It's not like we're not like talking like long breaks, or they'll start with a chorus, or they'll. It's just there's none of the traditional. None of that, but they don't necessarily like to adhere to the traditional verse, chorus, verse, chorus, that yep. kind of setup. It's it's close enough to be like familiar, but when right. you actually analyze it, yeah, they're skewing from that. You know, I heard in the in those pop elements, um, in the melodic cookie kind of things. I was trying to like, I, I don't always want to go back to. Beatle, the, 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 what everybody goes back to, like Cheap Trick, Beatles, you know, those mm-hmm. sorts of like root references of where a, uh, a rock band might be getting their melodic input. So I was trying to just push a little further. And the best, next best reference I could come up with would be the cars. Like, just vocally, some of those melodies, I could totally hear, you know, a Rick Ocasek. Really? Yeah, I mean, you have to set the music aside, obviously. But if you just listen to the way he's delivering uh, some of the some of the melodies and what the melodies are, like "Might," for example, track five. Yeah. 
just made me wonder if like you know these were guys that maybe grew up more into like as kids hearing new wave stuff um as opposed to maybe classic rock and that eventually could have been a reference point for what you know pop rock is because you certainly don't hear like you said like when they do there's like a middle eastern thing that comes through on guitar it's not coming from zeppelin no it's coming somewhere else you know what i mean so potentially that's i don't know more of a root reference for this band um, new wave cars that sort of thing that is interesting i had i had not thought we were to get to the cars <laughs> As a reference, my, I'm gonna just throw curveballs. You're throwing lots of curveballs. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't even know how to follow that up. Quite honestly, <laughs> I mean, it's all who knows. I mean, right? If we can interview the band and ask them, we'd find out. But it's just having fun trying to like put together the pieces. Sure. I mean, I I would imagine you know listening to a song like Sick File. You know, you clearly hear like the punk. Mm-hmm. you know yeah that influence. one's easy right yeah. so you know there's some other you know i'm guessing that there were some you know listening to like uh some of the post-hardcore stuff you know whether it's fugazi or yeah you know what have you those are some of the obvious ones but you know nobody goes people don't go up in a vacuum so right, there's right. a good chance you're right about the cars and or even if it's so, unintentional it's still right that stuff gets into your brain something you can do about it i think the bass player might be the uh sort of the um the under what do you call underdog on this record um so appreciated yeah like when we um started the review it was all about guitar vocals because i think that's what hit you hits you uh first but as you really dig into the record and you sort of set that part of the band aside i started to realize the reason that all that works is because the bass playing and the drumming particularly the bass parts are so solid uh, and melodic Mm -hmm. that that once again i think we've hit on this before if you nail that the guitars can kind of do anything well yeah a good example of that is in lero you're a hole Mm -hmm. in the chorus um the guitars are just doing like these crazy notes that are, you know, all dissonant and stuff. Yeah. And he's just repeating the, you're a hoe, you're a hoe, that part. Mm-hmm. But the bass is like the counter melody to his vocal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I started picking up on that. Like the bass and the vocal were melodically intertwined and either complementing or, you know, playing off each other. And I mean, the guitar tones are 
are not great on this record. You know, if you isolated it by themselves, you wouldn't want to listen to it. But when it all comes together and the bases they're holding the middle down so well, it doesn't matter. Like it all works. It's kind of fascinating when you uh, when you think about it that way. Um, you can kind of get away with with almost anything on the guitars, both from a tone and a performance standpoint, as long mm-hmm. as you've got that you got a really, you know, solid bass uh, approach that's really paying attention to the melodic uh, parts of the song and really just playing playing for the song um, and doing a great job at it. Um, so I, I think he's kind of the core of this band and what makes it all work. Yeah, he's definitely holding down uh, parts when the rest of the band is getting so crazy that you know what was mentioned in the, in the comments about you know it just being all noise. It's it's there are parts where it does get pretty noisy, but you as long as that bass and the vocal are kind of keeping the the melody there, then there's something to latch onto. I don't I, you know in, in listening to we've listened to a lot of music over the years for this podcast and then on our own. Um, this probably would have sounded noisier to me back when it was released yeah. as opposed to now. And I'm like, Oh, this doesn't sound noisy at all. Like there's, you know, the guitars are like you said, not the best sounding and sometimes they're playing some dissonant stuff, but there we've heard much worse sounding guitars and I don't even think they're bad. They're just not, you know, they're not the greatest sounding well, guitars. Yeah. It's just, they're, you know, they're ugly. They're not yeah. pretty Les Paul Marshall sounds. I mean, they're ugly guitar sounds, which totally can work. Right. If you know, if it's the point, you know? Yep. Uh, so, you know, there's no point in this record where I'm like, oh, I can't listen to this because of guitar. But I'm just saying, if you break it apart into its pieces and you just listen to the guitars by themselves, they're, they're not the prettiest sounding things in the world. But uh, miraculously, they're able to pull it together and make a big, thick you know, rock sound out of it. Yeah. I, I think in terms of what I maybe digging a little deeper in here, or what I don't like about this record, it feels a little spotty to me. Um, I think it starts off really strong. Uh, the middle of the record gets uh, noisier. I felt like there was sort of a crescendo of noise up until sick file where, you know, it starts off very melodic, pulls you in, then, it varies. They get into some of the acoustic stuff, then they get into stuff that's a little bit um, different time signatures. But I feel like around um, you know, seven, eight, nine, and then with track ten, uh, the noise factor gets an experiment. Experimentation gets a lot more, and then after Sick File, which is sort of the, just the blazing punk tune. Then they kind of bring it back around again, and the album kind of, I feel like it ends where it started. I feel like the last two songs are on par with the first two. Hmm. So I think that's the only thing I I struggle with was just, I I was, you know, obviously way more into the melodic aspects of the band and uh, less into just the all out sort of alternative rock noise stuff. And I just felt the sequencing um, made for some spots in the record where I was less interested in than others. I hear you. And we can get into our overall reviews with with that. Um, I agree that the middle part of the record 
definitely is sort of sectioned off from the beginning and the end. Mm-hmm. There's like a big chunk of, like you said, a lot of dissonant stuff and louder and crazier. Um, you know, I think like with any album released in the 90s, you've got maybe one or two songs that could be trend and that might be sacrilegious for some people who love this record. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know that every single song in that sort of middle group um, and maybe it's just a sequencing thing. Like you said, it, it just, it did give me a little fatigue in the middle part. And I think the band works best when they're not at full blast, which is, I believe what ended up happening with the band. I have to go back and re-listen to all the other records, but I believe the band moved more in the vein of web and front mm. and those sort of more relaxed, not relaxed, but more refined, kept refining, kept refining yeah. this, the sound and moved away from the, you know, more crazy, uh, dissonant energy of some of the tracks. And to the point where I, there was a quote from Eric Bachman, the singer who said that, you know, this sounds like he kind of cringed when he heard, I think this was when the re- reissues came out in 2011, that he kind of cringed when he re- re-listened to this because it was, it sounded so like young. Like this is mm-hmm. the sound of a band that's, you know, 21, 22 years old, just, you know, making yeah. as much noise as possible. And as they got older, they, over the next three, four years, they just kept refining and, and you know, honing the sound. Yeah. So, which happens, that's normal. Mm. Well, look at the wigs. I mean, we started yeah. off the episode talking about them, and you're, you, you know, I think maybe a song like uh, "Lero, You're a Hole." There's, you know, some guitar stuff on that that's reminiscent of early wigs, you know, up in an era. But that that's a band that quickly, you know, within what three, four albums, pretty much completely changed their sound. You know. To the point where they had soul singers in the band, you know, sure. they went from starting, of being, you know, pretty close to this sound to being, you know, uh, very very distant from that in just a matter of like three or four records. So yeah, that's so it sounds like this band didn't go on exactly that journey, but uh, I would, I'm not shocked to hear that they went on some sort of refinement mm-hmm. uh, process. So overall rating on this album, Jay, worthy album, better EP, decent single. I think I'm at a worthy album. Um, you know, I've got seven tracks here highlighted that I really like. I could probably uh, the, the song. I mean, for the most part, the record, the songs are so short. You know, even if there's a song in here, it's like, ah, it's not great, but it, it's not something I'm going to turn off. You know, it's not right. like terrible. It's just not as good as some of the other material. Um, so had some of these songs been longer, especially some of the noisier ones, I would probably be in EP land just because I, I'd likely find it more difficult to get through them, but because they're so short, I'm willing to say it's a full record and I'm sure it's the kind of record that the more you listen to it, I'm going to appreciate it. You know, it, it, it does have some challenging spots to it. So, right. I agree with you. We're the album. I'm probably at about 10 songs. There are, you know, three there that could do without them, but I'm not going to complain that they're on the record. So, um, and I know with the reissue that came out in 2011, it, it includes the original seven inch or 45s or whatever that we released of 
web in front and wrong and then it includes that ep that came out after this and some other stuff so uh it's like a double album of uh of uh material for that re-release so yeah there's a uh, there's a remastered on apple music that has just the 13 songs and then there's a deluxe remastered that you were just talking about has 27s there you go pretty much can do it any way you want so ladies and gentlemen that is our review of icky metal by archers of loaf we need to thank gavin reed for bringing this to our attention uh this is a uh, an album that uh we, we probably could have gotten to a long time ago but we were just uh yeah for the uh right person I feel like- to suggest it I feel like there's a whole slew of obvious records that we're <laughs> we're not getting to that yeah. I think we'll eventually get to through request the reviews, but left to our own means, we'll just like we have a blind spot because I think they're so obvious, and I think this band is one of those. Yes, yes, good analysis. So if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes, and of course you can join us at Patreon. That's at patreon.com backslash dig me out for previews of our upcoming episodes where you can comment and then we'll include it on the show. Bonus material from episodes. Uh, You can vote on upcoming album reviews when we don't have a requested review and other fun stuff. It starts as as low as a buck a month, $250 a month, and you get a review for 2017. Of course, if you still want to make a review for 2016, you can head on over to our request review page at digmeoutpodcast.com and do it the old-fashioned way via P-P- via PayPal. Not We don't do PayPal. No, we don't do PayPal. Totally different service. Uh, you're going to PayPal.com right now, aren't you? Not this second, because the mic is blocking <laughs> my... Um, mic is blocking my keyboard. So that's it. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode dig me out thanks for listening you can support the podcast by becoming a patreon subscriber at patreon.com backslash dig me out or requesting a review for the 2016 season at our request a review page at dig me out podcast.com dig me out